Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. We just expanded our balance sheet at the, at the, at the Federal Reserve by basically a half a year of GDP, by a half a year of income. And that's going to have an effect. The question is, what is the effect going to be? And is it enough of effect that the, the, the world comes off the U.S. standard as the, as, the, as the dollar standard? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Real Estate Lab podcast. In this lab, we decode the stories, secrets, and skills of the most brilliant minds in real estate investing. Then turn their wisdom into practical advice and knowledge that we can use to boost our income. And now, let's turn it over to our host, V. It's a great day to invest in real estate. My name is Viku, and I'm the host of the Real Estate Lab podcast. How are you doing, my friends? I hope you are doing incredible, incredible. Um, today, we are in for a treat. Today's episode, I have someone who I would consider is a genius. So once again, welcome to the show. If this is your first time listening, thank you for tuning in. My guest today is a triple board certified physician. He has an MBA and is both an active and passive real estate investors. He is incredible. This guy knows real estate investing inside and out. He knows the math and he even worked for some of the most incredible, incredible investor on this planet. Now, his mission is to empower physicians by providing a clear and concise map to navigate real estate investment. You see, financial education is not something that physicians are taught in medical school. Medical professionals, I know you all sacrifice the majority of your adult lives to help patients and to help save their life. You've spent so much brain power caring for your patients and you actually ignore your financial futures. By investing in real estate, you can actually help reduce your taxes. You keep pace with inflation and you can be passive so that you can tend for your patients as well. How do I know this? Because I had the same conversation with my cardiologist last year. I, after seeing him, I told him he needs to get into the real estate game because he is paying some of the most ridiculous tax rates out there. He cannot pay taxes like that anymore. No more. And my guest today is on a mission to provide that opportunity to physicians all throughout the U.S. My guest today is Dr. Kabrit Pada. Dr. Pada has a strong bend toward economic data analysis and how it interacts with real-world business operation. In fact, he has an MBA in finance as well as an MD, just like many of you listening, but also have done construction and remodeling at the age of 14. When you listen to this episode, you will see his work ethic and the brain power, the smartness of this guest. Now, without further ado, let's get to the episode. But before we start, I want to share something with you. Uh, if you Go to Dr. Pada's Instagram profile. There's a link for you for his course. This is a course that will teach you how to invest in 
real estate passively, especially in multifamily and apartments. The course, he sells it on his website, redpillcapital.com for $975. But you can send him an email, info at redpillcapital.com, capital with the K. And he will send you a direct link for the course, or you can go to his Instagram profile and the link is available there as well. Again, the course is selling it for $975. But if you email him and said that you heard about this course on my podcast, the Real Estate Lab podcast, he will send you a link to download the course for free. All right, so let's get to the episode with the one and only Dr. Gabriel Pada. Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Lab Podcast. I have Dr. Gabriel Pada here joining me on the show. Welcome to the show, G. Gabriel Pada. Thank you so much. Now, let's step back into your past. What was the most important lessons that you've learned by starting GP Enterprises? So <laughs> GP Enterprises was literally the first company that I attempted to make. And it was probably, I think I started it when I was 12. Um, and, and I did everything. I mean, I did everything from dog walking to putting in um, people's rose gardens. I, I was a pretty entrepreneurial kid. Um, I started off going door to door selling greeting cards. So it, it, this was incredibly instructive and no one's really ever asked me about GP Enterprises. So VI, I, I give you credit for, for doing the research. <laughs> GP Enterprises was some of the stupidest mistakes I've ever made and they will haunt me forever. And I've learned each one of them. So I'll give you, I'll give you the one that like it, it, it to this day, I can't believe I did this. Um, so I was selling door to door greeting cards and I, we lived in an urban American neighborhood. We lived in the hood. Uh, I lived in Laclede town and it was in St. Louis. We, I just migrated to the United States when I was nine. So here I was speaking English, but not completely fluent yet completely. Um, and I was doing door to door. Now we didn't have Christmas where I came from cause I'm Sikh, but I knew that people in America bought Christmas cards. So I ran around selling Christmas cards and that you would make 50% off of them. But here was the problem. You had to prepay for them. And these were customized. Mm -hmm. And the mistake that I made was I ran door to door, wowing people with these amazing Christmas cards in a facility that I didn't realize was not going to pay me later. So I had all these cards that I had bought and prepaid for them, you know, from the family of Takesha Smith, from the family of XYZ Jones, from the family of this. And I had made an amazing job of selling and took all the money that I'd made from doing other things, cutting grass and things like that, put it into this thing. And I was counting my dollars. I knew that I was going to make hundreds of dollars, maybe even a thousand dollars. And I got the delivery and I ran back to those houses. A third of those people were not there and two thirds of them refused to pay me. And now I had Christmas cards that I didn't even celebrate Christmas. And I had hundreds of boxes of Christmas cards that I couldn't get rid of because they were all customized. And of course, that was a complete waste. So that was very instructive, which was you may have a high demand for something and people may want to have it. 
but you have to make sure they can pay for it and you have to get the money first. Um, and that was incredibly instructive for me. Um, the, the next big instruction came for me when I was a little bit older and I really wanted to do this job. It was a rose garden. I specifically remember this job. And this woman wanted me to redo her rose garden. And I loved gardening, but I also loved laying things out. And I thought I could do this. I completely underbid it. I ended up doing probably 200 hours worth of work for four or five hours worth of work. And that's what it taught me the value of making sure that I understood what my estimates should be um, and how to estimate and how to leave myself enough of a loophole to understand what I needed to do. Mm -hmm. Eventually, by the time I was 14, 15, I was now, you know, I was in high school um, and I was really into science, but I still wanted to run this company. So I hired a bunch of people. And this is when I learned about taxes because I hired all these people that were working for me and they were older. They were 25, 35, 40 years old. And I was 14. They would have to drop me off at high school in, in a truck. And then I would talk to them on the payphone in the, in the, in the uh, cafeteria and we would update. So you were 14 and your employees were like 25 plus. Yeah. And I was how guaranteeing. Did you, how I, did I, you get them to work for you? Because I paid them. Um, and, and it was as simple as that. It was, Hey, I need you to do this job and I can pay you this amount of money. And I was reliable and, and I had already made money doing things that I was doing. So I saved up my kitty of money and, and then I started hiring people. And that's when I was able to understand the concept of leverage. I didn't have the time to do it because I was in high school, but I had the money. So I started leveraging their time with my money. But it was also instructive because I didn't know about payroll taxes. I didn't know about corporate insurance. I didn't know about all of the things that I learned about later. But, you know, these are the things that you learn when you're a little kid um, and they carry with you for the rest of your life. They teach you what you don't want to do and they teach you what you should avoid. And they're hard lessons, but they're far better learned younger. Um, and I think that that's one of the major failings in the United States. We don't teach our kids about business. We don't teach them the hard knocks of how to succeed. We only typically teach them the things that make them happy. Uh, and, and we give them immediate reward and reinforcement, and we try to shelter them from the pain. And I think that that's a problem. I think that you have to experience the discomfort of doing it wrong in a small way so that you can avoid the discomfort of doing it wrong in a big way later. Um, it, it's, it's, and I know that people you pejoratively use the term snowflake, uh, and I'm not trying to use it pejoratively, but I don't want snowflakes. Like, I, you know, I want my kids to have the challenge of failing. I want them to feel that pain, and I'm there to rescue them, but they have to feel some of that pain. If you don't feel the pain, you do not grow as a human being. You can't get better. Uh, it's an evolutionary process. If evolution was simple, we would just be big balls of slime and mold and sitting at the bottom of the ocean and nobody would move and we would just have food come to us. But, you know, we run around very rapidly as humans and we hunt and we fish and we're, you know, we, we do great things and we go to space and, you know, we, we, we're trying to get sharper and better. Those are evolutionary processes built off of hardship. Without that hardship, you don't have anything. Wow, that's so good. Now, um, think back when you first started uh, and you said you hire a bunch of people work for you. 
Do you remember who was your first employee and what job did you do and what job did that person do? Yeah. So I first had to, and I, I still remember this. Um, the first thing I did was I hired somebody to help me cut grass. I had gotten, I'd gone out and bid. And so that tells you something. The job of the owner is to develop a marketing strategy to bring in business and then develop a strategy for execution. So I had gone out and bid and gotten a bunch of jobs and I had done some of the jobs and I had figured out how long it took to do a particular job. So I had put in parameters and then I knew what it took. I knew it took a lawnmower and I knew it took a, a hedge trimmer, a, a trimmer, and I knew it took a blower. So those are the three tools that my people would need. And I knew it took 45 minutes to do this. It took an hour to do this. And so I would build in a little bit of time buffer so I didn't get ripped off. And so the first thing I did was I did the job myself and then brought people in that could then replicate what I was doing. And then as I did that, I cross sold and cross did my stuff. And so as I would identify opportunities at people's houses going, hey, you know, your, your pool is really dirty. We could totally clean that for you. Or, hey, I noticed your shingles are kind of bad up there. Your roof hasn't been replaced in 20 years. I don't know anything about roofing. I'm not going to tell you that. But I know this crew that does know about roofing. And so I, I can help you guys get a really good price and we can get it done for you. So as I identified opportunities in my, envir in my environment, then I started to do that. What I quickly realized was that doing the work was it was very enjoyable. It was very instructive, but it wasn't leaving me with any real long-term money. And long-term money is what I was trying to get to. Uh, and I had already run across the tax issue. I'd already run across the employment issue. And I realized that I needed to do stuff that was going to give me money so I didn't have to work all the time. And so that's what got me into trying to find passive ways to, to develop income, truly passive. Um, so my next endeavor uh, was to look at auctions. Uh, I started off going to garage sales and buying up stuff at garage sales and then reselling it. Um, and then I moved from garage sales to auction houses and buying up stuff. And then eventually I moved into buying out large scale warehouses. And this was by the time I was 20, 2021, I ended up buying out a, um, a waterbed company that was from Canada. And we ended up buying out one of their waterbed warehouses. And I didn't realize what was in it. It was a bonded sealed warehouse. And I was really buying it for the land because I thought I could flip it. Uh -huh. uh, and I was in medical school by now. I was almost done. Um, and I was doing this during school. Um, and so I ended up buying this bonded sealed warehouse that I had no idea what was in it. And it, I, I knew that I could resell it for about 15,000. And I ended up buying it for 5,000 on the coldest day of the year where it was snowing and nobody else showed up at the auction. And the minimum bid was five. Um, I, and I, this is also when I realized the concept of syndication, because I had gotten four other buddies to put a thousand dollars in with me and we ended up buying it for five and we, we could have gone up to like almost 10. Uh -huh. uh, and I figured it was worth at least 15. So we opened the doors that next day cause every, everything was snowed out. So we finally got in there. We opened the door the next day. It was full floor to ceiling with high end waterbeds. Like oh, amazing wow. waterbeds, boxes and boxes and boxes of waterbeds. So then the next step was that we ended up selling the facility. I ended up getting almost like thirteen or fourteen thousand. So I made about eight on the facility. But I took all the waterbeds and mm -hmm. we went across the across the U.S. wherever I had friends, and we would rent 
we rented a U-Haul and we would go to basically gas stations, pay them a little bit of money and set up a little stand in their gas station front yard selling waterbeds off the street at 150, <laughs> 200 bucks. And so we ended up making like 40 or 50,000. It, it was, you know, it was a decent, it was a decent gig, but it was the concept of arbitrage. I took something that somebody else didn't want and I was able to see a value in it, even though it was inadvertent. And then I arbitraged my way into paying my tuition. I arbitraged my way into more money and it was a little bit more active, but it was still, it was still a pretty passive gig. And by then I'd also gotten into buying and selling houses and I'd gotten into buying and selling apartments. And I started to make some of the classic errors of apartment owners, um, you know, investing in C and D grade areas and hoping that everything was okay. Um, and then I, you know, that's, I'll tell you something funny. This is, I was by now I was at trauma surgery at Cook County in Chicago and I was investing on the South side of Chicago in a pretty crappy area. And uh, it's a rough area. And I'll tell you what happened. So here I am on a Saturday. I haven't slept in probably two and a half days after trauma surgery, but I'm there with my crew and, you know, we're doing a rehab and we've had a problem. Every time we put in a new kitchen and we go through the front door and we close the unit off and we're done, we got the new kitchen, we got the pictures, we're ready to go. And we go to the next unit, somebody would break in through the back door while we're on the floor above or below, steal all the stuff we just put in and run out through the back. And so as we were putting it in, people were stealing it. And that was a problem. And so that was the problem of a rough area. So I decided that I was going to hire other people's time again. So I ended up getting people that were very interested um, in being in that area, but didn't have necessarily any money. And so I basically let people that were reliable live in one of the units to caretake it. Now, it just so happened that they were, you know, they were homeless um, and they had their own personal issues um, and they had lots of fights and things of that nature. But that's what kept me from having everything stolen because we fenced it up and they stayed there and they were kind of like my guard dogs. But yeah. I gave them food and I gave them shelter and it gave them an opportunity to get on their feet and they had a free place to sleep while we rehabbed it. And so we made an exchange, we arbitraged, and we, we made a leverage exchange. Um, but while I was there at that building one day, we were standing in the back and I remember pointing up at one of the windows and I said, you know, we got to change that window on the third floor because it looks like that sash is, is going to break. And just as I pointed to the window, the, the glass shattered. And I was like, whoa, the glass shattered on that window. I knew it was bad. And then my <laughs> contractor... I look at him and he's on the ground. I'm like, oh, someone shot? Someone shot at the window when I pointed up. And then the window next to it exploded. And by then I, I thought, this doesn't make sense. But I didn't know that somebody was shooting at us. Mm -hmm. And then I looked down at my leg and there was blood everywhere. And somebody had shot through my leg. And it was a sniper. And it was, <laughs> it was somebody that was one of the local idiots that decided that they were going to snipe. By then... I jumped down and I hid behind, we hid behind a, uh, a container that was there and you could hear the bullets ricochet off the other side of the container. So yes. somebody was being stupid, but you know, you don't want to invest in the hood. I don't care how much money you're going to make. It's just not worth investing in that situation. And so that, that was also a lifelong lesson. <laughs> That's, I mean, it's, it's totally, totally. It's like one of the best war stories I've heard so far. 
<laughs> the my my only experience of coming close to the hood was in around 2010 2011 i went to cleveland thinking i could buy up the whole block for 20 grand and each house was each house was uh going for two thousand dollars but i was driving through the hood and i didn't know yeah as i was driving and it didn't help that i was uh under 25 the rental car company because i used my company's discount code they gave me a um, luxury car. They gave me a Cadillac. I drove through the hood in a brand new Cadillac as an Asian kid. And then I look at the, there were a bunch of people hanging out out front and they all had guns and I didn't see. But the house I needed to, to view was like literally right next to where they were standing. And my G- GPS was like, go, go straight. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm taking a left turn right here. I'm out of here. Yeah, exactly. And that's the, that's the nature of education. That's the nature of, of a hard education that you don't have to, um, you don't have to make the same error again. Your, your spidey senses will tingle. Um, and, you know, it, it, which brings me to where I am now. Um, you know, I've done all kinds of silliness. I still do all kinds of silliness, but I've learned what I shouldn't do. And I've learned how to avoid some of those mishaps. Um, and, and so now I try to do more significant projects without some of those mishaps. And, and and those are the kind of things that I I really enjoy now. That doesn't mean that I don't rehab areas in in an area that is economically challenged. Um, I'll give you an example. So, and this is the interesting thing about real estate. If I did this and I was in the stock market world, I would be in federal penitentiary. But because I did this and it's real estate, it's legal. And that's called using your special knowledge. If you have special knowledge in real estate, people go, congratulations, you know something and we're real damn proud of you. And you made, you made something, you, you made a silk purse out of a sow's ear. Whereas if you have special knowledge in the stock market, the federal government is going to put you in prison because you violated an SEC rule. And let me give you an example. If I knew that Apple was going to have an amazing run yesterday or, you know, in the last week and I bought it because I knew what their numbers were, that's a that's that's a federal crime. But if I'm a real estate developer and I suspect that an area is about to change and I buy up everything or put everything under option, I made a fortune and everybody says, hey, great job. How did you have that insight? Not, oh, you did a horrible thing. And this is what happened. So I knew that there were federally qualified grants that were going to be coming out. And I knew that they were for healthcare entities. And I knew that they needed to rent a certain amount of space in a certain designated census tract, a very specific narrow area. So I found out that these, and they released the bids on Friday at the end of the day. But you know that a lot of these nonprofits are pretty lazy. They don't even open their mail till Monday. And here it is, the end of day on Friday, and I'm on the website looking, and I know that one of these things has hit, and it's in the census tract that I know something about. So I went out on Saturday and Sunday, and I looked at every possible configuration of building that they might need to occupy that had the right classification that was vacant because there's a time limit on when they had to get in. So they had the concept of urgency 
And I had to do this before they found out about it. So I had a concept of urgency. So I put about 14 buildings under option contract on Saturday and Sunday. I went to these people's houses. I gave them a hundred bucks and I put them under contract for real cheap because nobody wanted to invest in that area. And they were just shocked that somebody was knocking on their door on a Saturday and Sunday, trying to give them an option lease contract with a purchase. Um, And so we ended up putting all of the buildings under contract. Come Monday, they get the, 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 the healthcare agency gets to their real estate agent. The real estate agent goes out on Wednesday and tries to get the same buildings that I've got under contract. And each one of them turns around and says, you got to talk to this guy, Dr. Pata, because he's got all these under contract. We ended up making probably, I mean, I ended up getting a purchase for a little bit under $120,000. It, my lease turnaround was $6,000 a month. So I'm net clearing about $5,000 a month from one deal um, at, under a long-term lease. It's a federally, it's a federal contract, but I've, you know, it was publicly available information, but I had way more hustle and insight than the other side. And so I was able to go out and get a bunch of stuff under contract and it was in a bad zone, but that, and that's why it was so cheap. And so there was an asymmetrical return. And that's what I look for. I look for opportunity with asymmetrical return. And that's, that's why my company, Red Pill Capital, which is what does my real estate division now, the whole fundamental basis of it is to figure out where can I get the highest return with the least amount of risk and generate a return far disproportionate to my risk. And, and that, that's what I try to figure out. It's that insight. Okay. Now, um, Tell me, your, your company now is called Red Pill Capital. Why, why Red Pill? So it comes off of the matrix. Uh, either take the blue pill or the red pill, Neo. Um, and the red pill lets you see clearly, and the blue pill keeps you in a comatose state. I would rather see clearly and know what's going on and look around and look behind and look under. Unless you can see clearly, you can't see where we're going. And if you can't see where we're going, you can't make a prediction. Um, and so I, I, I'm somebody who looks at things at a micro level on a one-to-one ratio of my properties and my investments, but I'm constantly keeping one eye on the horizon, looking at the macro level, wondering what the hell is going on with economic policy? What, what are the, what's the econometric data telling me? What are the demographics? Where are we headed? And why are we headed there? Um, and if you keep your eye on the horizon, but your hands on your property in front of you, you'll do well. But if you take your eyes off the horizon, it doesn't matter. You could be crashing into, into a head-on collision with something and you wouldn't even know it. So you have to look forward and you have to have a sense of what's behind you as well. So you have to have a 360 approach, but you really need to be looking forward, not just down at what you're working on. Um, and which is why when you do investment, um, and I teach people this, it's part of a, a course that I'll give your listeners free access to. It's, it's, about, a, it, it's about a 14 hour course and it's on analytics. Uh, at the end, I'll, I'll give you the information on it, but it's a, it's, it's a course that teaches you how to look at investment um, and look at what the headwinds are and what the tailwinds are. You have to keep your eye on the horizon. You have to be able to predict from an economic standpoint, what's going to happen with our money supply, what's going to happen with inflation, what's going to happen with our hard assets. Nobody knows for sure 
but you have to be able to predict something and then modify your course based upon that and put your investments within that context. Mm-hmm. Um, where, where do you see, like, what are you keeping track right now? What do you see on the horizon, especially now with COVID and pandemics going on? Um, and recently, I mean, I, I read a report, Dr. Fauci was saying, yeah, you don't set the, the deadline for the virus. The virus kind of set its own course. So you, us, we have to kind of work alongside with what the virus is doing. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm a medical physician. So I have a, I have a perspective and I'm going to say something that I know people will get upset about, but I'll tell you my perspective. And this is my genuine perspective. Um, the virus is a significant event, but it's not that significant. The mortality rate from influenza is 0.3, The mortality rate for this virus unencumbered by other other things is about 0.3%. Yes, it's 300% greater. But the real mortality in the United States is far greater. And compare that to the real mortality in other countries. And the issue becomes not the virus. This virus didn't mutate suddenly to make it more deadly. It may have changed its infectiousness, but it didn't become more deadly. What the issue is, it's the host. It's the people that it's infecting. Unfortunately, our dietary pattern is so horrendous that only 12.2% of our U.S. population is metabolically healthy. So that means 87.8% of our population is metabolically sick. And so we have a much greater likelihood of having a major complication because of our metabolic dysfunction. Um, And so what does that mean to a real estate investor? How does this, what does it mean? What what are the the relevant issues for this? Well, a couple things. and these are predictions, and obviously all predictions are subject to immediate change based upon real data. Uh, and so, but here's what I'm seeing in the market. I am seeing that because we had a stimulus payment of $600 surplus from the federal government to each individual per week that was unemployed, and we have a 39.2% or I think it's a 32.9% reduction in GDP in the last quarter, Um, So we stopped economic activity. We stopped disposable economic activity. We gave supplemental payments to people to prevent rioting for food. Those supplemental payments basically allowed landlords to keep tenants in their facilities and at the same time increased household savings rates to one of the highest we've ever had, about 25.7%. So our household saving rates went up, but our economic activity went down. When those supplemental payments disappear is when the real pain starts for real estate. Um, Now, the thing is, you'll notice what the pain is. So those supplemental payments were very specific to people that earned less than $100,000 a year. And if you were an A-grade tenant in an A-grade building that's multifamily, you probably didn't get that supplemental payment. Now, it's a likelihood that you probably stayed in work, um, but there's a possibility that you didn't. So I'm seeing increasing default rates in A-grade buildings where 10 or 20% of them can't afford to pay because they've been laid off or they were new people coming out and they've delayed their careers because they've been fired or terminated before they started. So I'm seeing that. Um, It's going to also stunt the growth of recent graduates, both high school and college graduates. It's going to stunt their growth. Worse for high school kids than for college kids. Um, So that's going to be a stunting. 
They're going to stay in their parents' houses longer. We already weren't having a lot of household formation. Uh, we were starting to pick up, uh, but, but we weren't having a lot. So A grade gets hit. B grade actually does better because A grade vacates and goes to B grade because they can afford it. And C grade does even better. What does poorly is D grade. D grade, they get the money, but they don't want to pay because they know that they don't have to pay for at least six months and no one's going to come to their house and knock on their door to give them an eviction. So they know they're living rent-free for at least nine months before anything happens. In Missouri, they stopped all evictions in the second week of March, and they're not going to resume eviction, probably, the ability to, to evict a tenant, probably physically evict, till October. So these people know that they're not coming out. So if you're in a D-grade area with a D-grade tenant that doesn't care about their credit score, they don't care. So now you have a, you have a economic vacancy. You have a physical occupancy, but an economic vacancy, and you can't get the tenant out. And so that, that decreases your ability to generate net operating income, which then destroys your valuation in a D-grade area. And we've always known this. In times of recession, D-grade gets hit. The last recession, A-grade actually did better. This recession, I think A-grade is going to get hit a little bit because we've been building a lot of A-grade, and you can't afford to build B or C. Um, and so I think that that's going to be significant. The other thing that I would tell you is that self-storage is going to do pretty well. Um, self-storage does better in economic recession because people move out of their bigger houses and move their stuff into storage facility because they don't want to give it up. They're, they have a connection to that stuff. So they would rather spend 100, 150 bucks a month storing their stuff, hoping for the economy to get better, and they're going to store their stuff for a while. So that, that'll do well. Um, as in terms of healthcare, I think that you're going to see a massive shift. I think that big box um, residential care facilities, the big ones that hold two to 400 residents in one box, they're going to suffer. Um, and that's going to be very significant. I think the uh, Gene Garino model of eight to 12 uh, people in a house is going to do well because they're still going to need the services. But you cont your contamination risk dramatically drops as you decrease the number of people in a particular locality. Uh, and so I, I see that as a change. Um, retail, I think, has gotten hit. I don't know how bad it's going to be because I can see a re-engineering of retail. And it may have accelerated a pre-existing trend. Um, but food retail will probably do better. I think that 60, 70 percent of restaurants that are closed will stay closed. I believe that, you know, a lot of businesses that are mom and pop businesses will die off um, and will have a concentration effect. But I also think from a historic standpoint, if I was to start new businesses, this is the time to do it. You're going to have an opportunity to have a low cost of entry for a lot of stuff. And you have people that are willing to work. Before, it was really hard to hire an employee. Now it's going to become relatively easy once we stop giving the federal subsidies. If we maintain the federal subsidies high, people have no incentive to return to work. But if the federal subsidies go down, people have a tremendous incentive to return to work. And if your unemployment rates are 15, 20, 25 percent, you can get some really high quality people to work with you. Um, and so those are the things that I'm seeing. Now, I'm talking to Dr. Capri Pada, uh, triple board certified surgeon and serial entrepreneur. 
Uh, you can check out his website at www.redpillcapital.com and capital is with the K. Now, Dr. Pada, you are you have a lot of experience in the entrepreneurial world and entrepreneurial spirit. Did you learn all of this when you were going to uh, medical school? What was your money mindset like at that point? So, I, you know, I'm, I'm a first zero generation immigrant. I was born in India. Um, and I think that uh, people that are born out of the United States come to the United States and go, oh, my God, I'm not going to get shot today. Oh, my God, I'm not in a war zone today. And for us, this is the most amazing country on Earth. And I think that people that grow up here and live here sometimes don't recognize how wonderful of a country that they live in. And so, you know, I can't tell you the last time I watched a television show. I, 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 I don't think I even had a TV that I could watch when I was a kid um, because, you know, it was black and white TV and then it was color and it was expensive. And I had really bad ADD and I was always running around trying to do 15 things. Um, and so thank God for my mother and father who let me experience the stupidity that I'm really good at. Um, you know, I, I was the kid that was taking um, train sets apart to get the transformer out so I could use the electrical wires to recharge the heart of a cockroach. Uh, <laughs> so I mean, or I was the kid that was using the same transformer to see if I could stimulate the muscles of a frog and understand that. Or the one time I got a moth egg stuck in my throat because I was trying to do a science experiment and it flew into my throat and I was convinced that there was a moth that was going to live down there. Um, and so, you know, I, I have the, I, I, I think that, People don't realize how lucky they are to live in the U.S. I mean, it really is, in my mind, one of the best. It, it probably is the best country on earth um, just because of the freedom. Now, I know that we have problems and I know that there are issues and I know that there it's not perfect, but life is not perfect. And we should not expect perfection. Uh, we should not even think that perfection is going to happen. The goal is to constantly strive toward perfection, is to, is to keep getting better. And, and that's what I see in the U.S. Um, so th that, that's kind of my, my education is from the School of Hard Knocks at first. And then I have an issue that I try to learn everything I can about a subject once I get intrigued. And then I'll dig deep and dive deep. And then I'll try to see if that's what I want to do. And then after a while, I'll go, look, I've spent a lot of time on this. And I'm willing to walk away from it because this isn't what I wanted to do. And I'll give you an example. So I got my MBA in finance, not because I wanted an MBA in finance. I got my MBA in finance because I was wanting to learn how to do econometric studies on cost benefit analysis in medicine. So what that means in big terms or little terms is I wanted to figure out the incremental cost of doing a particular thing and whether it benefited society or not as a global. So if I spent $2 extra here, did I make an extra $1,000 for society? Did I save $1,000? And so I was always trying to do these econometric studies, but I could never get my models right. So I went to business school to learn that. In the process of that, though, I ran across some people in, in Europe. And I was like, wow, they're doing money arbitrage. Looks like you can make a lot of money, and it looks fascinating. And so then I spent a couple months doing arbitrage 22 hours of the day and moved to Belgium. When I realized that I hadn't slept but a few hours every day, I'd burned out 
and I'd lost about 30 pounds and I looked like shit and I couldn't figure out anything. And so, and my brain was fuzzy. So I realized, yeah, it was fascinating. I love the models of economics in its real application and understanding arbitrage and currency flow, but it wasn't for me. So I stopped, even though I was making way more money doing that than I was doing medicine or anything else, because it wasn't for me. Um, and so, you know, I'll experiment. Like I owned, my business partner and I own, uh, owned and operated five restaurants and we did very well until we started to do more and more stuff with reversing diabetes in populations in our clinics. And we realized that the diabetes epidemic is driven by a combination of vegetable oil and sugar. And so, and I have a whole thing, it's called uh, www.reversediabetes.md. It's a whole thing. It's a, it's a free, free thing online for people that are interested in reversing their diabetes. No charge. All our protocols are free. Um, and we've taken about 5,000 people in the last 10 years and, and gotten them to reverse their disease and had them, on average, lose about 80 pounds. Um, oh, wow. And they can do it totally themselves. It's nothing that we charge for. We just want people to be healthy. Um, but anyway, so we own these restaurants. And we realized that we were serving vegetable oil and refined sugars. And so as soon as that became discordant, it was last year, it was completely discordant for me. It was about August of last year. I realized here we are reversing diabetes in our patients, but creating diabetes potentially in our clients at the restaurants. Um, by October, I sold all the restaurants because I was like, I can't do this because in order to feed people healthy, I can't and still make a profit at it. I can't give them, I can't do saturated fat that comes from butter and I can't do saturated fat, high quality olive oil. And it's not going to make sense economically. And we're going to lose money on every single person that, that's a client. So that was our experience. We, you know, even though we'd done it, we were good at it. We immediately shifted. Um, and so you have to be able to kill your darlings, even though we loved it. Even though we love the design, we love the implementation, we love the product, uh, we still eat at the restaurants, but we eat limited amounts of what we get at the restaurants because we know what's in the food. Um, we killed our darling because we needed to transition away from that because it was discordant with where we wanted to go. Um, I think you have to constantly reevaluate all your darlings and ask yourself, is this benefiting me today? Is this going to benefit me in the future? And if both of those answers are no, then you need to reevaluate and, and make a decision. And so I ended up getting, like I said, I ended up going from the school of hard knocks uh, when I was young to an educational system where I got an MBA and kept refining my economic understanding. Uh, and I constantly educate. I probably spend three hours a day, uh, every single day, um, learning about different models, different e economics, different systems, and constantly evaluate. Right now, what I'm really interested in learning about is self-storage facilities and boat and RV storage. And so I'm doing a deep dive. I've probably um, done, I don't know, the last month and a half, a couple hundred hours of research um, and understanding the models. Now, fortunately, as you do more and more of this stuff, there's a cross applicability between different modeling systems, between multifamily, uh, you know, retail, um, mobile home park, there's cross applicability. Uh, and, so and so as your asset 
groups are similar, you can still use some of that information. Uh, I spent forever learning about ClickFunnels, not because I was going to be Russell Brunson's protege, but because I was really curious about marketing. And I'm not, you know, I'm an introvert and I may not sound like that on this podcast, but I'm a total introvert and I hate marketing, but I also know it's the most important thing that drives a business, the ability to market and gain new clients and new customers. Um, and so I had to learn about click funnels. So I built a bunch of funnels, realizing that I was wasting my time because I could hire somebody, but I needed to understand enough so that I could have the dialogue with the people that I was hiring so that I knew how to do SEO. I knew how to do retargeting ads. I knew Google AdWords. I, I knew these things enough that I could have a conversation because I didn't want to throw money at a black box. Uh, that's another mistake I learned early is just don't throw money at a, at a problem. It just makes the problem bigger if you don't know how to solve the problem. Um, use consultants, but make sure that they're good consultants. Right, right. Now, I know, I mean, what we've been talking about, education is, is a big part. And not only just traditional education, but self-education. Because many people like doctors, you've been to school forever and you have to read about new procedures and new uh, journal papers that put out in the medical world. But, you know, like Dr. Pata, he's putting up three hours every every day to learn about something else. Now, if you're listening to this episode, um, you just got off your 12-hour shift. I'm not going to bore you with the details or the questions about what you can do to invest passively and things to pay attention to. Dr. Pada said that he has something special to share with you in, in a moment, and we'll get to that. But uh, first, Dr. Pada, many people think that self-education, especially when you have to pay for it, is, is a scam, or even going to seminars is a scam. Um, what's your opinion on that? And, and I know you've spent quite a bit of money on education, even spend a weekend in uh, Maui for mastermind. Yeah. So I've probably spent upwards of a million dollars in self-education. Um, all you're doing is you're making your brain better. Now, when I do self-education, it's not from the perspective of, oh, I'm going to go to an amazing place. Like I went to Maui Millionaires. Uh, David Finkel runs that. Um, I can tell you that I never saw the outside of a conference room in the two and a half days I was there. And I, I did it a couple of times. And I think each of those is like $40,000. It was the it was the material that I learned. And it's the connections that I made with people that are amazing. It's the ability to spend one on one. And if you're an introvert like me, and I go back to this, I mean, I'm a total introvert. And but given the right motivation, I, I'm very extroverted because I'm trying to ach achieve a goal. Um, I have met some of the most wonderful people I've ever met at some of these conferences because it was one-on-one. -on -one. I was able to make a deep connection. And that's what you want. The, the point is you could probably self-educate on YouTube at home and not pay anything, but you probably will miss two-thirds of it. Um, you can self-educate on podcasts, but you're going to miss part of it. It's the connection that you make to other people. It's the connection that you make to your mentors and to the other people that drive the real value. Um, I would rather, you know, I, I want to educate. I want to self-educate and I want to know everything that I can learn. And then I want to interact with people that know a lot more than I do in that area and help them refine my skill. And then I can bring in the right people to really execute and understand how to how to make value out of that. Um, if you don't spend the time and energy and effort in this, you're not going to get anywhere. Um, 
you know, you could pick up a bunch of YouTube videos, but I guarantee you it's not going to, it's not going to, for example, I do interventional pain management. I put in stimulators, pumps, implants, I cut out nerves. There are videos on YouTube on how to do this. I wouldn't trust you to do this on somebody, but there are videos, but I wouldn't trust you to do it. Um, and you know, it's, you might talk the talk and you might even be able to wear the lab coat, but I'm not going to trust you to put a knife in my back and, and put a stimulator in because there's a lot more to it. Uh, and so that's what education is. It's, it's the subtlety of what you can't get in just the verbiage. Uh, and you have to have that subtlety. That's, that's where the real value is. It's in that subtlety. I'll give everybody every protocol that I have and have them just do it, but they're not going to get the same result unless they actually have that interaction. And, and that, that's what people need. And, and that's what people miss. They, they think, oh, I can, I can do this. I can, I can pick this up on a YouTube. You could, but I don't know if you're going to have the same result. And I don't know if I trust you. <laughs> right. Now, uh, earlier you mentioned about your course. Could you share more information about it and uh, how could the audience get it? Yeah. So it, um, it, we charge $9.75 for it normally. It's about a 14 to 17 hour course and it has a bunch of workbooks and it has um, how to frame things in your head with regards to your interaction with money, um, which I think is... You, you have to start there. You have to understand where your brain is before you can figure out where your money is. Um, and, and then it walks you through multifamily investing because that's a, a, a hot topic. And, and I thought that that was worthwhile for people to understand whether they're going to actively do it, whether they're going to passively do it, whether they're going to participate in a REIT, whether they're going to do uh, as, a, as, a, as a passive player or whether they're going to buy their own. So I thought it was worthwhile to, to share that information. Um, and I've, I've been doing this for 20 plus years. So I put it together. If they email me at info at redpillcapital with a K.com, if they email me and just say that they heard this on your show, I'll give them a coupon code that they can use on the site and a link and they get that for free. Um, I'm not selling anything. There's no upsell. There's no downsell. There's nothing. It's a free course. Educate. They'll have full, full access to it. Um, I think that for what I do, what I'm trying to bring to people is a, a, a more common sense approach to, to doing ventures um, and, and just share some of my experiences. I mean, look, I'm, I make mistakes every single day still, but my mistakes, if I make them, are a lot bigger and the more dangerous. So I have to prevent myself from doing those things. You know, before I would make little mistakes and I would underbid a rose garden job. Now, if I make a mistake and I really miss it, I'm going to waste twenty five million dollars. So I don't want to do that. And so I constantly educate myself to keep myself from doing it. Um, before I used to never hire consultants because I would say, oh, I can educate myself. And then I found out that I had to bring in these experts that knew way more than I did, that knew those subtleties. And yes, I had educated myself, but they were way better than I was. And so, you know, you, you, you want to do that. You want to you understand everything, educate yourself. And then once you're at the point where you know what you don't know, then, then you go forward and, and, and get extra help. But right now, most people come in, they don't know what they don't know. And so they assume that they know everything because they don't know what they know, don't know. Um, <laughs> but you want to be at least at the point where you know what you don't know, and then you can go get that expert to help you. 
Right. Now, again, this course is available on redpillcapital.com and Dr. Pata is selling it for $9.75. You can pay for it if you want, but if you don't, just email him, info at redpillcapital.com. It's mentioned Real Estate Lab and he'll send you a coupon code and you can redeem the course for free. Now, Dr. Pata, what's your go-to real estate or business book when someone asks you for a recommendation? So I have a whole host of them and, and there's not one particular one. Um, so I've really gone to um, reading articles online because they're more contemporary. So I look at a lot of the Forbes articles um, and I look at contemporaneous education. Um, and so I, I think the books sometimes get a little old and, and because our situation is changing rapidly, literally like day to day, uh, hour to hour, week to week. I think that a book published three months ago or five months ago or six months ago really doesn't give us um, what we need today. So I rely a lot on emerging stuff. Uh, and I'm going to plug somebody and I have no relationship to this. So I, I'm just I'm telling you what I do. Um, I look at a variety of incoming data streams. Um, I look at uh, there's a there's a guy on YouTube, uh, Just Breathe Singh. Uh, it's called Minority Mindset. Uh, really, really good. He's an attorney and he is really, really sharp and very, very educational and insightful. If I was looking at real estate alone uh, and I was looking at multifamily, I would look up Neil Bawa, B-A-W-A. Just amazing. Uh, he's a technologist and he's data driven. Um, so I, I find these people and they publish out uh, information. Clemson uh, has his podcast and it's on economics. Ryan Daniel Moran. Um, um, is another guy, the 1%. Uh, he's a capitalist and he has some amazing information. So I would find these people because they're talking about contemporary events today. Um, and, and that makes all the difference. So I, I don't go to a particular book. I'm reading some stuff. Um, I read a bunch of stuff from Jack Bosch uh, recently um, on, on stuff. I read a bunch of stuff from uh, Fontaine on uh, creative financing. And so, but those things aren't um, changing as, as our economy is changing and our economy is changing rapidly. I mean, we, we just expanded our balance sheet at the, at the, at the federal reserve by basically a half a year of GDP by a half a year of income. And that's going to have an effect. The question is, what is the effect going to be? And is it enough of effect that the 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 world comes off the U.S. standard as the as the as the dollar standard, and if we come off the dollar standard, what's that ongoing effect to the valuation of things that we have in the U.S.? It may be nothing, but it may be massive. Uh, and who's going to step up to the plate if the U.S. if the if the world goes off the U.S. currency as, as its reserve? It's probably um, going to be China or or Russia. <laughs> I don't think it'll be Russia. I think uh, Russia doesn't have the reserves. Uh, I think that you would, I personally suspect that it's going to be a hybrid currency um, and it will be some sort of de novo hybrid currency to avoid um, the appearance of, um, of, of preferential treatment. So I think that it'll be some sort of de novo currency. Um, and I think it'll happen sometime in the next year. I think that we're going to, I, I think it'll be relatively quick. It'll be after the election. 
um, and something will happen with, with our currency. Now, nothing may happen, but you have to anticipate that it's a possibility. Um, you know, why is it you have to ask yourself that our stock market is going one way and our and the stock exchange is going one way and it's going up in a limited number of stocks, probably 10 to 12 of them, and yet Main Street is going down? Why is it that there's such a discordance and what can we expect from this? And, you know, and are we going to see inflation or not? Yeah, this is this is a terrific uh, discussion. Uh, you know, that's, that's something that uh, for us to do deeper dive research in in our free time. I want to thankful. Uh, I want to thank you for your time, Dr. Pada. I know you have uh, about uh, two, three minutes here still uh, with the show. And I want to just ask you one last question before you go. And I want to thankful for your time. Um, what's your most favorite mindset or success quote? I'm sorry, what's my most ma- favorite? Success quote or mindset quote? Um, <laughs> Mark Twain. Uh, and you did, we didn't preempt this, uh, so you and I hadn't talked about this, but uh, you'll never live long enough to make all your own mistakes. Learn from other people's mistakes. Um, those are, that, that's in essence is what he says. You know, learn from other people's mistakes because you'll never live long enough to make them yourself, uh, all yourself. Um, and right now I've been quoting a little bit of Rob Emanuel, uh, Ron Emanuel, um, who is from uh, Chicago and he's quote, he quoted Churchill, which is never let, never let a good, uh, crisis go to waste. And so my suspicion is that we have a massive crisis and the, the world powers and, and the U S government are not letting that go to waste. Uh, and so th- those are my two things, mantras that I'm living by right now. What a wonderful, wonderful quote, because, I mean, we all are trying to figure out how to capitalize on, on this crisis. <laughs> well, I want to thank you for your time, Dr. Pata. I've been wonderful learning from you. Um, wish you a great rest of your day. Thank you so thank much you. for joining me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. That's the end of the show. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a five stars rating and review on iTunes for the Real Estate Lab podcast. Until next time, have a prolific week.